Welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast with me as your host, Carrie Jordan Barrett. This is a podcast devoted to incorporating ancient ways into our contemporary lives and enlivening the physical world with spirit. I hope that this episode will enable you to open a portal to remembering your unique ancient wisdom. It is my honor to hold this place together and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Before we begin, I like to make a prayer and call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. Welcome to episode 29. This episode is a celebration of St. Patrick's Day. And what I like to celebrate on St. Patrick's Day is Irish heritage. I've been spending the past few years diving deep into this. And you might hear some things in the background. I'm standing in a parking lot recording this because my family has been traveling for the past three months, three and a half months. We've been traveling through the southeast and a little bit in the northeast. Right now, we're at a hotel and my husband is putting our baby to sleep. So I didn't want to weirdly record this podcast introduction in the hotel lobby, so I'm standing here in the parking lot. You could probably hear the birds chirping and some cars driving by. I've been meaning to give you an update on the tectonic plates that are shifting in my life and my family's life, and in some ways it feels like there's not a big update to give other than we are in the unknown, we're in the great mystery, and at times it's extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> we're trusting that what we're looking for will show itself to us. I also want to give you an update on the Rise Collective, which is shifting as well, and that will come. So back to the episode. Over the weekend on our travels, we were exploring this small town in Virginia, and they were already celebrating St. Pat- quote-unquote Patty's Day. <laughs> I actually learned from our guest this episode that Patty is actually a slur against Irish people, and she requested that we say only St. Patrick's Day. So they were celebrating in a big way getting plastered and wearing green plastic hats and t-shirts that said things like, shut up liver, you're fine. But at the Rise Collective, we don't do things the way the mainstream does things. I've been celebrating this day in my particular way for probably my entire life by learning and continuing to explore the rich and deep history of my Celtic people. Tanya mentioned during the episode something like the best way to celebrate Irish heritage would be on Imbolc, which is Bridget's Day. And I'm totally on board with that. And I like adding to the mainstream celebration by contributing something that's offbeat. Today on the Rise Collective podcast, Tanya Reikley is joining us. Tanya is an herbalist, and she is the author of the book Wild Irish Roots. She's been teaching herbal classes rooted in Irish traditions, healing, and spirituality for 20 years. She's also lived part-time on the west coast of Ireland for 15 years. 
continually learning from the land, the plants, the people, and the ancestors, as well as from her teacher, Gina McGarry, who she studied with in a three-month immersion in residence in Ireland. Tanya graduated from the Rocky Mountain School of Botanical Medicine and began her first herbal business, which was called Moondance Botanical. She had a storefront for many years before she sold the bespoke business to longtime customers in order to pursue her passion of teaching herbs and ritual full-time. Tanya has led sacred journeys to Ireland for 15 years, including a two-week herb school over summer solstice and pilgrimages over Beltana and Autumn Equinox. She teaches a year-long mystery school, which begins and ends at Samhain and includes initiation in Ireland. New in summer 2021 will be a two-week priestess school in residence in Ireland. You can check out Tanya's website at dancingwiththewild.com. And you can find her on Instagram at Tanya Reikley, or you can send her an email if you're interested in her teachings, tanyareikley at gmail.com, and you spell that T-O-N-J-A-R-E-I-C-H-L-E-Y at gmail.com. And lastly, I want you to know that before we started the interview, there were all kinds of things happening, <laughs> Wi-Fi challenges and a rogue washing machine that was making a lot of noise, I thought there was an earthquake. <laughs> we had a lot of laughs and a few false starts. I decided not to edit it out, out, edit out all the laughter because it felt like the trickster energy of the leprechauns and the fae folk were playing with us and the ancestors were definitely letting us know that they were with us. Here's the interview. Enjoy. The ancestors are really they are with us, man. <laughs> and now they're laughing at us. Like, lighten up. They're just telling us to lighten up. It's going to be great. <laughs> they have so much to share. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> all right. After all that chaos, here we are. I'm so happy that you're here, Tanya. I've been looking forward to this interview all week. Where I'd love to start is I'd love to ask you to share about your experience of living with your teacher in Ireland and learning from her, how you met her, because I've seen you reference it in a lot of your work and in your book. I just feel really curious to know more about what that was like. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. It's so great being here with you. And um I am a herbalist and I went to herb school in Boulder, Colorado for a year, a year immersion. And I knew I wanted to learn more after that. Um, so I was looking around, seeing what my options were. I'd been to Ireland a year previous to that. Um, that had been my first time to Ireland, although I'd had a lifelong connection to Ireland. So I, I knew I wanted to be back in Ireland. And I knew I was looking for a place to continue studying herbs. And I was actually in line at a checkout of the health food shop. And there's this magazine called Herb Quarterly. And I opened it up. This was in 2000, I think. Um, and or 2001, early 2001. And 
Um, I opened up the back and that's when like you found a lot of things like that's a way that you discovered things um, because the internet, I mean, the internet was still around. It was here, of course, but not like it is now. So anyway, there was a little classified ad, an itty bitty little like one inch classified ad that my eyes immediately went to in the checkout at this health food store, come study herbs in Ireland. And her um, email address was on there and... That's how I found her, which felt very serendipitous um, and went and it was an in-residence program. Um, she was living just south of Dublin near, near Kildare, Ireland. And there were, it was myself and four other students. And we lived in community in her home for two months. And it was like such an amazing way to to learn and such an old way of learning, you know, actually living with your teacher for a period of time. Um, and that's what we would have done um, until more, more modern times. We would have, we would have immersed, we would have been an apprentice with our teachers. So um, every day sitting at her hearth and then being out in the hedgerows with the herbs and um, totally immersed for two months. It was such a blessing. And I, um, I was so drawn by that experience. Oh, and my teacher's name is Gina McGarry. Definitely want to honor her. She is still my teacher. She is my family. And I see her a lot. Um, in Ireland, we just had a, um, a Zoom call the other day. So even remotely, we're keeping in touch when I'm not able to be in Ireland. So, so drawn to continue that apprenticeship type learning. And so in my in my world, I've, I've tried to create a similar type. It's not a two month. That was that was like such a gift and a blessing. Um, but it is it is at least a snippet of learning in that way of, of, of being immersed. Beautiful. Yeah, I've I've read a a little bit about the offerings that you have on your website and they sound really definitely immersive. One of the things that I really enjoyed reading about in your book was you, how you approach herbalism as a connection with our ancestors. And I'd love if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I have Irish ancestry. I mean, I, my, People have also been on this land of the North American continent um, for several hundred years. Um, yet um, I do have Irish ancestry. And when I went to Ireland the first time, it felt so different than any other place I have been. Even it felt more like home than even where I grew up in Ohio, rural, rural Ohio. And so I was very drawn to that. And again, this was over 20 years ago, yet I knew there was something there for me um, when I was cycling through County Kerry, Ireland, and like I would recognize people who I'd never seen before. And I, I knew this land in a really deep way. So when I studied with Gina, we were learning about all of the herbs of the native European tradition, and even more specifically, the native Irish tradition. And so even though then 20 years ago, it was it's very it was very much Western herbalism, like when I went to herb school, it was Western herbalism, but also we were appropriating a lot of herbs from Ayurveda and, and Chinese medicine, and from traditions that weren't ours at all. So when I went and studied with Gina, I just really 
felt in my body how these herbs that had nourished my DNA. So it was a very cellular like DNA um, connection that I knew that these were the herbs that were going to heal me and also keep me in a, a place of deep nourishment. Um, because in, in my healing tradition, we definitely believe like healing is that deep optimal nourishment that we are so lacking um, and that these herbs were going to help me connect we're a threshold we're a portal into my 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 heritage and my ancestors because um, I say this a lot and and it's still like kind of blows my mind every time I say it and, and think about it that when you are drinking a, a cup of herb tea. So nettle is a herb that grows all over the hedgerows in Ireland and grows a lot in, in North America, this continent as well. Um, although when you're preparing a cup of herb tea, if it's nettle, you've just harvested from the hedgerow, you are heating up water in the same way I mean, what? Well, not the same way. We're heating up water. Our ancestors would have heated it up over a fire, of course. We've got the electric kettle. We're flipping on. Um, but we're pouring it over the herb. We're drinking it in a mug. And so it's the same process. And when you, and it tastes the same, especially when you are drinking a herb that's growing wild in the hedgerows. Um, and even a, a lot of cultivated herbs, like that's kind of the magic. They're not GMO'd and they're, they're, their DNA hasn't been shifted so that they taste totally different than they would have even like 20 years ago. So when we're drinking... Wait, can, sorry, can you repeat that? What you just said that they, they taste different than they would have 20 years ago. Why is that again? No, not the herbs, oh, like okay. other things. Yeah, the herbs oh, okay. like are going to taste the same as they did a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, Be especially if you're wildcrafted because, um, you know, they're growing in soil that hasn't been shifted or altered in any way. Um, unlike a lot of wild grown things that have been, been hybridized, that have been GMO'd. So they have a totally different taste than what our ancestors, our ancestors wouldn't even recognize wheat today, for instance, you know? Um, so um, yeah, so that idea of, of having this ritual that our ancestors would have done of drinking this, this substance, this plant that they would have drank for the same reasons that I'm drinking it. So that connection to me is like so beautiful and so profound um, between the herbs and our, our ancestral lineage. I feel that connection with nettle as well, specifically. Although with nettle, I, I, went, I had a wondering about what you think about this because nettle is so drying. And so when you work with nettle in Colorado, do you add oat straw to it or... How do you kind of get around these little quirks in the microclimates that we live in now versus ancestral places? Right, exactly. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. And um, I'm glad you did because it's oh, because you know, I mentioned that on people are like, Oh, my gosh, I want to go start drinking all kinds of nettle. And yeah, it is. Um, it's astringent, which means it's going to be drying in the body. Um, and even in Ireland, like, I will drink a simple which is just one herb of nettle. Although, um, I believe like our ancestors blended herbs, we weren't like, we, we can drink a simple, although it's kind of rare like you're always going to add a herb and they would have known like 
that's one of the benefits of nettle is that it is astringent and they would have known that. Also, it can be a little much. Um, so when we're like in Colorado, um, because it is so dry, like yeah, oat straw is perfect. Um, marshmallow leaf, licorice root, those are some of my favorites. Just put a little of that in to balance out the dryness of nettle. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. I, I really resonated when you were speaking about that sense of home that you felt when you were in Ireland, recognizing people. I've been there a few times and I have family there. Just more recently in the past few years, I've been feeling this deep longing to be there, to be in Ireland, Wales, England, just that region of the world, because that's my, my heritage or my, um, where my ancestors are from. I heard an interview with Sharon Blackie and Stephen Jenkinson a couple months ago. And Stephen Jenkinson has this school that is called the Orphan Wisdom School. And I always kind of wondered what that, what that meant. And during this, this podcast interview, which I can put in the show notes, he, he's basically saying that we're we're orphans here in North America because we've been cut off from our ancestry and even from our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents. Like my grandparents, my grandmother never met her grandparents. And I find that very sad. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I just wanted to presence that sense of longing. And it is a form of being an orphan. That's kind of I mean, I don't know what that's like. And that's the sensation I get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, ha- I hadn't heard that term. And I too resonate with it. Um, we as, um, yeah, with Irish heritage or any Native European heritage, you know, being on this land, it is really foreign to us. And I realize that all the time in Colorado. I'm like, I... I was, my body was not made for this climate. You know, all of the sun is really difficult. And the Native American people, the people of this land who I want to honor, the Cheyenne, the Arapaho, and the Ute people, they, this is their land. And to come onto this land, and I tend to this land, and I love this land and honor it, um, yet I do feel like an orphan on this land. And and when you go to Ireland, um, the people, and they, they speak of this, that I live in the burren in Ireland, um, which is just south of um, Galway City, right on the, the west coast of Ireland. And the people there are of that land, you know, they're, they, and they even speak of it, like how they are the land and, and the land is so much of, of who they are. Um, and they have that sense, you know, my friends there, like have always been there. So just that feeling it's, it's really to have that is something that we don't have as the diaspora. Um, although I, I love that there is the awareness of that. I think the more that we're aware of this longing and can name it, um, we all, they won't take us all back, unfortunately. Although I think it's remembering these really old ways of being 
that can perhaps ease some of that longing, remembering what, what, that we have a rich heritage and rich traditions that we can tap into no matter where we are. And especially when we're going back to our indigenous traditions like that, that can also bring us into relationship, help us be in relationship to the land where we are and also to other cultures that we have appropriated and colonized for the past 400 years here on the North American continent. So it is like listening to that longing, visiting Ireland if you can, because I think being on that land, then it, it like um, kind of initiates something within that then you can build on and come back to, to the land where your feet are and, and tend to that land and, and these old these old ways that we're beginning to remember that we have as Native Europeans. Thank you. As you were speaking just now, I was remembering this conversation. It was this conversation I had with a friend the other day, and we were talking about these old ways. And our ancestors have gone, went through many challenging times. And right now, this moment in history feels like a very challenging time to me and to many others, I'm sure. And so we were just talking about looking to our ancestors for guidance, like, well, how would they deal with a challenging time? How did they deal with the famine? How did they deal with all of the hard things that happened in the political climate back when? And we were like, they would have knitted a sweater. They would have made a cup of tea. They would have made some <laughs> Irish bread. <laughs> so looking, looking to them for guidance and, on those old ways and what can we do right now rather than, you know, scrolling or trying to get more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would have gathered at the heart. They would have come into the homes and co- came together as community. And they also would have rebelled. I mean, the Irish were, were, have been rebellious rebels <laughs> and not always in the, in the name of justice, you know, I mean, always in the name of justice, but not always in the name of order. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of quoting one of Martin Luther King's quotes, which often gets, I don't know, <laughs> it gets uncontextualized because he definitely believed and the Irish definitely lived this way. Like sometimes there needs to be, um, disturbance of the peace in order for justice to happen. And the Irish were so good at that. Um, and, and a lot of places that have been colonized. Um, so remembering that as well, they, they wouldn't have just been sitting idly by, you know, it was different the famine when, when it was genocide, when, when the, the British were actually <laughs> taking all the produce from Ireland to, to suppress, um, to and kill the, yeah, to starve the Irish. Um, so they definitely have an, and I love that whole idea though. Thank you that, you know, connecting in asking what our ancestors would have done. And really, I think a lot of us are talking about, um, and black women are leading the way and helping us remember that we can tap into this, our, our, our radical imaginations. And I think if we can think about what our ancestors would have done, like we're imagining right there a different way of being, um, which is not what's being done now, although it can, we can imagine it into being. Um, so yeah, mm. yeah. I got in. chills when you said that. It reminds me of something that Joe Dispenza says, which is remember your future 
toward you, like draw it into you and you're kind of like Mm -hmm. bringing it in from both sides. Yes. I love that. That feels really powerful Mm -hmm. and a new way of relating to solutions and new paradigms. Exactly. Exactly. And not just feeling like, oh, I'm going to have to let the future happen to me. It's like I can actively participate. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to shift the conversation because the other day when we connected, we were talking about, we were talking about your mystery school and I have some curiosity about that. And we were also talking about this, these phrases, mystery school and priestess and how these words we imagine may not be used in a context that they would have been used long ago. So maybe perhaps people are using these words without a deep understanding for what they mean Mm -hmm. in these phrases. And so I'd love to open that up because you seemed fired up and excited to talk about that. And I would love to hear your perspectives on it. Thank you. We can start with what you teach in your mystery school Mm -hmm. and how you developed that body of work. Maybe after we talk about that, we can move into what a priestess is. And I imagine they're also connected. So great. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So I have been studying and living into the Irish Celtic spiritual tradition or the Irish wisdom tradition um, since probably (laughs) since I was three or four, you know, just the way I have lived. I, when I was, um, I grew up on a farm and I was like a free range child, you know, with me and my sisters would be out into the forest, even when I was five or six. Um, and so I remember the fairies. Um, I remember tree friends, um, and this was in Ohio, not even Ireland, although I think it was an aspect of, you know, the ancestors talking to me from a very young age. Although when I went to Ireland and studied with Gina, that's when I really started the, the spiritual path um, of this tradition. And um, I have lived on the land of Ireland for that whole, that amount of time for 20 years as well. Um, Part-time, I don't live there full-time, although five to six months out of the year for 20 years. So I learned a lot from that land. Um, I've learned a lot from my teacher, um, the indigenous Irish that are still there, my dear friends. Um, And I taught herbs always from um, an Irish tradition, like my Materia Medica of herbs has always been herbs that are in Ireland and are native to Ireland or somewhat native, maybe not, you know, 10,000 years ago native, but, you know, now are naturalized in Ireland and are considered native plants and also are native, not native here, but they do grow in Colorado and a lot of them like dandelion we brought to the, to North America when we came from Europe. Um, So, and the herbs are such thresholds to this awakening that can happen. So the deeper you're working with herbs of your ancestral lineage and working with them in the ways that your ancestors have, have used them, um, the more that opens in, um, in, in deeper memory 
Um, and so it took a while, you know, I've been teaching for about 20 years and it was only three or four years ago, um, that I was talking to a dear friend and, um, this whole idea of mystery school came up, not idea because mystery schools have been around for, um, thousands of years. And we, um, we talked about how they, um, how they show up in different ways. <laughs> and I decided I wanted to lead a mystery school based on Irish myth, based on lineage. I, I took a mystery school with Mara Freeman, who she lives in Wales, um, and about 15 years ago. Um, and really tap into the rich traditions of our Irish heritage, of our Irish culture after, you know, 18, 17 years of living it daily, practicing it and teaching it, although they're not teaching it in this form. So the mystery school, what makes a mystery school to me definitely is lineage. So I have a lineage that has been taught to me. Um, my teachers are Gina McGarry, Mara Freeman. Um, my teachers are William Butler Yates, who was a part, he is um, this, from turn of the century. Not, all, not everyone I'm going to name is living. Um, he was part of a mystery school called Order of the Golden Dawn, which was in Ireland was a little bit different than the Aleister Crowley um, crowd in England. Um, um, his counterpart, um, Lady Augusta Gregory, they were both very much interested in um, the connection of folklore, myth, and the land, that interconnection, um, and also the other world, which the other world is... Um, is where the fairies live, where the ancestors live. Um, there is a veil that separates us in the other world yet. And I have found, and this is another reason I really was called to, to begin this mystery school, because even in the 20 years that I have been visiting Ireland, I have noticed that the veil between the worlds, it has become heavier if that makes sense. Um, things would happen in earlier days. Like I always felt like I would, see, literally see things, um, feel things um, that don't happen anymore um, or don't happen as, as easily. They still happen. Ireland's a thin place. And the more you work with the veil, the more, you know, there's trust there. Um, yet I also held that. I'm like, we need to keep this, this veil. We need to work on making sure that this veil is accessible because the further that the fairies move from us, the further that the ancestors move from us is, is very troublesome for the, the state of the world in general. Um, so I, oh, my lineage, <laughs> Lady Augusta Gregory. Um, and then from there, it's um, this, this Irish term, which is called Bonfasha. Um, and a Bonfasha is a wise one, a wise woman. Um, Biddy Early was one of, um, from she was from the 19th century. She was a Bonfasha. A lot, sometimes Bonfashas were, were referred to as witches. Um, and they were ones that actually brought information back from the other world. So they did have a connection to the other world. 
Um, so those are that's some of the lineage that that I am following in the the wisdom in the in the mystery school. Um, so lineage is a big part of it. Um, not appropriating other traditions, obviously. So this is this is very. Um, it's I want to say it's pure, although so much wasn't written down in the Irish spiritual tradition until the monks started writing it down. Um, and we're always tending to the fire, not the ashes anyway. So we are coming from the roots of this tradition and making it relevant today, although definitely using rituals and elements that I believe were used through the mists of time in Ireland. Um, also honoring the, there is, there are secrets within like mystery schools are called mystery schools because there are secrets within that tradition that unless you're in that, that immersion, that tradition, that, that secret, and it's not secret. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm not going to tell you yet. It's secret as in like, unless you're in it, you, you, it's secret to you. Like you need to be in it to, to know it or to, to understand it. Um, not that, you know, in your own way, you can work to thin the veil. Like you don't need to take a mystery school to thin the veil. Um, although there are secrets within a mystery school that cannot be revealed in any other way. Um, and so it's different than a lot of, I see a lot of different organizations and this is not a bad thing other than I think they're appropriating the name because it may who knows the name is catchy whatever it is so I come from a very like ancestral origin focused indigenous perspective in my mystery school which is the meaning of a mystery school and a lot of people are are, are saying they have mystery schools which are you know you can come in and you can learn tarot and you can do Reiki or you can learn herbs. Um, but that's to me, it's like, that's a school, but it's not a mystery school. A mystery school is a very, very specific thing. Um, yeah. And then to the, so any questions on that or any clarification? Like, yes, I made a couple of notes here that I'd love to ask you. One is this idea of a mystery school is a mystery for a reason. That's my perspective. And I'm curious what your perspective is. And to ask it more specifically, I'm wondering, I, I understand why in the past it's been a mystery because people were persecuted for having, you know, being witches or bonfashas or there was all kinds of persecution. Wise women, yeah. And mm -hmm. so it makes sense. And today I... I used to think it was no longer necessary. And now I think it is necessary, necessary, continuing to be necessary. So I'm curious what your perspective is on that. Well, mystery schools. So I just, and I'm not sure if this is what you were, you're saying. So mystery schools are mysterious or there is secret information and not because of the fear of being persecuted. Like in Ireland, we call those like hedge schools. Like that, that was actually a thing that existed because when the British colonized Ireland, they said, you will be persecuted if you are learning anything to do with Ireland or practicing anything to do with Ireland. So they actually literally would meet behind hedges to hide from the, the patrolling um, English British. Um, and also we, it's secret as far as like, 
we could have been persecuted if we would have like identified as witches. Um, although interesting in Ireland, there was very, there were only like two people in Ireland that were um, brought up at a witch trial. Like it just wasn't a thing that existed in Ireland, which is also another reason, like you could go to Scotland and it's a whole different issue. Like the history of witches in Scotland is very, very different than in Ireland. And that has to do a lot with, um, because well I don't want to well I will I've opened it up like Catholicism (laughs) Catholicism in Ireland actually um has this very interesting like earth-centered like very mystical and magical like we have held on to a lot of that um into more recent times it's very problematic today what, what has happened um with the the conversion of church and state although um yeah, the, a lot of things were just accepted by Catholic Ireland, that Protestant England and Scotland, and of course, Quaker and Puritan America would have been like, no, you're a witch because you did this. Whereas, you know, in Ireland, it was, um, it was, it was not seen as a bad thing, necessarily. Um, Interesting. So, when you, when mystery school is like secret knowledge that is waiting to be shared. I've heard that there are no arm movements in Irish dance because they, they were behind hedges and they didn't want the English to see them doing right. those <laughs> arm movements were lost. Is that something that you've heard before? Or is that yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually heard it was because in Ireland, um, half doors are a really popular thing where it's a single door, but you can actually unlatch the half and just have like the bottom half of the door. So what I heard, and it's funny cause they're all true, but you know, I had heard that they would, the, the British patrols would come by and they would be dancing, you know, but because it was a half door, they couldn't <laughs> see the bottom half. <laughs> So that's why they don't move their, their arms and their necks. So, that's yeah. so funny. I, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, when I just imagine that, it, it seems like a cartoon to me. It's, it's yeah. kind of funny. This episode of the Rise Collective podcast is sponsored by the Rise Collective. The Rise Collective is a wise women's council with a rotating cast of wise women. Members get weekly video workshops, monthly energy healings with Karen Roberts, a Slack community, and an opportunity to teach their unique medicine if they so choose. The membership launches only a few times a year, so head to the risecollective.org slash program to get on the wait list. And then my other question was, and then I want to move on to this other question about the priestess. The yeah. other question is, you were saying that it seems like the veil is becoming uh, more dense. And so how would you say, how would you recommend that we work together to, to coax the veil into being more accessible to us? Yeah. Um, I, I believe um, working with nature and the earth. So being very eco-conscious is hugely important. I mean, that veil is thickening because what we're doing to this world um, as humans and also by, um, so honoring the land as far as your consumption and being very aware of the impact that you are as an individual and we as a collective are making on the earth. Um, And then also, um, 
just be, if you go to Ireland, if you go to these places, I'm seeing it beginning to happen in Iceland. It's been happening for a long time in Hawaii. Like there's so much consumer oriented tourism. Um, and I think that is really bringing, that's shifting the cultures in a lot of ways, which is not beneficial. I mean, it's all about capitalism and dollars. So specific, so I would just say, please, any, and there's many more places than that. Those are just like Ireland, Iceland, and Hawaii. They're like on my radar right now. Um, and I don't know if it's because the ancestors are, are channeling that to me. Um, and then I've experienced it firsthand. Like I won't go back to Iceland because it made me so sad just seeing what was happening to that land. Um, feeling it, I think feeling it probably as much as seeing it. So when you're yeah. traveling, um, to an indigenous place just that is so sacred like Ireland you've been to Ireland like there it is a sacred land there are sacred places everywhere and by people going and taking which is what tourism is and tourism is different than traveling um you know if you're a tourist you're taking you're there to just take the experiences take what the land gives you um leave your rubbish you know take pictures um so it's, it's coming back into relationship with the land. So when I, um, I've been leading pilgrimages to Ireland, very small, like six, six, six to eight people. Um, when we are traveling as pilgrims, we are coming to the land and we're breathing with the land and we're being really present with the land and asking, you know, what we can do to honor the land, um, to give back to the land, um, so it's a different type. It's all about relationship to the land versus relationship to like consumer consuming. <laughs> so participating versus consuming. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a huge way being in relationship. Thank you. Yes. Being in relationship. Um, so that to me is, or is a, is a big way that we can work to um, yeah make this relationship um, with the other world, with the ancestors, with the land herself, because she shuts off. Like I go to the Cliffs of Moher. I don't even go to the Cliffs of Moher anymore, which is one of the most fit. Have you been? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, it's in County Clare, again, the, the west coast of Ireland. It's one of the most popular tourist destinations. That land has totally, she's closed herself off because she needs to, because the people that come there are, there's, there's not a reciprocal relationship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've had this thought in recent months of, I see especially in Florida it's very overdeveloped here overpopulated and I see there's in North Florida there's a lot of open land and then there's for sale signs and they're building and they're building and they're building and I'm thinking to myself these construction companies need to hire a medicine person to come in and be in relationship with the land bless the wood bless the bricks mm -hmm. ask if this is okay thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. And it brings up emotion for me because I feel, I feel it in Colorado too. And like when I drive out to Erie or places in Weld County and there's so much open land and I, and I just kind of, I don't want to, like we were saying, remember this into the future, but I just, I know what's happened on the front range in the past 20 years 
with all these new towns popping up and all the cookie cutter communities. And so what I, what I would hope for is medicine people taking it upon themselves to go to these places, go to the cliffs, stand there all day. You know, maybe we create a society of medicine people who go there and we rotate and we, we educate people and we wear Mm -hmm. a sign or, you know, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. No, maybe eventually we'll be paid for this work. Um, but that, to me, that's what needs to happen because I, I don't necessarily see an end in sight to the tourism and the development and the desire to see these places. I, I understand mm-hmm. why people want to go there, you know, but what can we do to, like you say, be in relationship about it and make it a sacred thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, having these conversations is a big one. And I love that idea. Yeah. So maybe I'll, because part of my mystery school is we initiate. So that's another big difference between, you know, a regular, you know, if you're learning tarot and you're learning herbs, you know, there's not necessarily, this is the first program I've taught where there's an initiation. So we, and that initiation is in Ireland um, to do this work that we have been building up for a year we're, we're together a year and it's also during Samhain which is when the veil is one of the times in the year when the veil is the most then so yeah maybe we'll do that maybe we'll go hang out on the cliffs some more and believe me like I've gone there and, and done work of like giving back and healing and, and talking to that land um, although I think education is a huge part too until you know that there's another way of of being and of walking in the world um, and I think you don't know until you know, you don't know. Um, so education is a huge part of it and having these conversations and um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. These, and, and I think that it's really important to try to be solutions oriented when we're having mm-hmm. these conversations. Yeah. I'd love to talk about what is a priestess to you hmm. Yeah, I know that's that's kind of such a broad term that mm-hmm. is used in so many different ways. I when I think about priestess in Ireland, I think of Bridget, who is an Irish goddess, and she was so important in Ireland that she actually um, manifested in human form. She is one of our three patron saints, St. Bridget. And a lot of the aspects that she came into her human life in, she actually lived in the fifth century in Kildare, um, were aspects of who she was as a goddess. So um, they are, there's that beautiful syncretism, that bridge between pre-Christian and Christian. And Bridget as a goddess, um, and also as a saint, had a fire temple. And the fire temple, you can visit it, it still exists. Um, I mean, it's just kind of a hole in the ground now um, in Kildare. And, um, but this fire temple existed before Christianity with the goddess Bridget. And we always say that her priestesses, um, the priestesses of Bridget tended to the sacred fire. Um, once um, 
Ireland became then um, Christian, the fire was tended. The fire was still there. It was still being tended to. Now it's being tended to by the nuns. So it's interesting like that, how one was priestess and then became nun, like that role. Um, So it's not like to me, a priestess is one that is holding um, tradition in some way and and as a keeper of tradition especially around rituals of some sort um it's not i do well i hold a priestess school in ireland although it hasn't happened yet because of the pandemic um it may happen this year and my priestess school in ireland is going to be it's going to mirror a class i teach i've taught for i don't know 10 years in the states i call it sacred ritual arts so to me a priestess is is holding rituals space um yeah yeah but again it's not a term in ireland that we would use a lot um although bridget you know that story we refer to as priestess beautiful yes it's so always so interesting to see how how indigenous traditions shifted into a new form like they're still there they're just in a different package Lastly, I would love to talk a little bit about St. Patrick's Day. And when we talked a week ago, you, I was calling it St. Patty's Day, and you were telling me that Patty is actually a derogatory term against Irish people. So um, I, f- I found that really interesting. If, if you have any other mythology to share about St. Patrick's. I love to hear that. And also the point of, well, well, the point of this episode is really to hear from you and your indigenous wisdom. And it's coming out around St. Patrick's Day. So can you Mm -hmm. share how women might and men might like to go a little bit deeper into their ancestry around this day and also how you approach St. Patrick's Day? Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, first, yeah, there's multi layers to that question. Let me address first um, St. Patrick's Day versus St. Paddy's Day, which is P A D D Y S versus St. Patty's Day, which is the T's, um, P-A-T-T-Y-S, I guess. So um, yeah, as you said, Patty, so the P-A-D-D-Y, a Patty is, I mean, not the I mean, if you're referring to it as a non-proper name, because definitely there are still like Porig um, is the Irish name. And a lot of time Porig might be, you know, um, shortened to Patty. Um, so if it's a proper, if it's a proper name, that's fine. Although it has been used by the British and beyond. I mean, it happened in America too, when the Irish started coming over and were discriminated against, um, the signs, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs like that. That was a real thing that happened in America as well as in in Britain. Um, And so um, 
Patty would have been a, a very derogatory name referring to an Irish person um, and has connotations of, of stereotypes of, of what the people that hung those signs thought of Irish people. So um, just being aware of that. Um, and again, this is like education until you're aware of it, you don't know. So it's not like if you've been saying St. Patty's Day, it's fine and you can still say it. I think it's just important to know like the connotations that it can bring up. Um, Patty, P-A-T-T-Y, like Patty is a very feminine name. It comes from Patricia. It's not even like a masculine and Patrick would not have been called either of those. <laughs> um, so just being aware of that. And um, St. Patrick's Day is very much a celebration of the diaspora once they came to America. Um, this, was, this was a way they were longing just as we've been talking about longing for the homeland, they had to come here under circumstances that probably 90% uh, of the time were not, maybe even higher. They were not here because they wanted to be here. They were here because um, of, of situations in Ireland and they had to leave. Mm -hmm. um, and so they created this, this celebration and we now know it's very much like about drinking, <laughs> turning rivers green. And so it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's a weird celebration. It's not one. I definitely honor like Bridget's Day was just a couple of days ago or St. Bridget's Day. Like to me that I, I align more with the wheel of the year and these old celebrations. Um, I think it's fine that people tap in, of course, like we want to learn about our heritage, but doing it in a way that is really bringing out like kind of the shadow aspects of our heritage around drinking and kind of making fun of the green um yeah don't really resonate so I, I often like um will encourage people to bake soda bread and share a soda bread recipe um connect with their ancestors light a candle for their ancestors celebrate Irish heritage so hopefully maybe we'll shift it into Irish heritage day some someday um and Patrick honestly is not I mean he is one of the three patron saints Bridget is one Bridget would be the more domestic one she would be like there's a cross a Bridget's cross I don't have one handy oh you can't see me anyway but um I mean I do have one but it's just not at hand um and so the Bridget's cross would be hung in everyone's homes and would be like has a lot of correlation with Mother Mary um so very much like the day-to-day -day. St. Patrick would be represented of the, the patriarchal Catholic church, which again is, is problematic in its own way. So the energy that, that Patrick holds um, isn't, isn't really the energy I want to hold either, um, which also then brings me to the story of St. Patrick. So, um, and I do not like totally dislike St. Patrick um, because I think what he did for Ireland, um, he, he loved Ireland and um, he was a historical figure as well. He was captured as a slave. Um, he's Welsh, I believe. And um, the Irish would, and this was a common thing back in the day, this would have been the fourth century, the fifth century, um, early 400s, um, common era. And they would have captured slaves from England, from Scotland, from Wales, um, and brought them over. And, um, and not, it's not chattel slavery. There's a huge, big difference. Um, they would, the, the slaves would, I mean, they would have been, you know, 
kept by the Irish people, although they would have been fed well, they would have been treated humanely. Um, that was um, slaves and hostages were just kind of their culture. Um, but I do want to be very clear, it's very different than chattel slavery. Um, so, so Patrick came over, he was a teenager and he was a shepherd. So he, in the summer months, he lived up in the hills tending to the sheep. And so he had lots of independence. He was up with the sheep. There were little huts, they were called bully, bully houses that he would have stayed in. And so he had a lot of time to himself, to the land, to the sheep. Um, and potentially that's like, from where his spiritual life grew from. Um, so after a couple of years, and then he would go in the winter, he would go and he would live with the family in the cottages. Um, and he would sit around the fire and hear all the stories that were being told, the myths that were being told around the fires in the wintertime. Um, so he was in Ireland, I think a couple of years, and then he did escape. He, he caught a, a ship back to to Wales and then ended up going to Rome to study. He became a bishop, all of that, um, a priest and a bishop. And then he came to Ireland and um, to, you know, some, as some of the stories go, he came to Ireland to convert the, the barbarians. Um, although he also knew how important, like, all the festival days and how important all these traditions were. And he loved, I think he really authentically loved the land and also had a deep connection to the elements. There's a beautiful prayer. It's called St. Um, Patrick's Breastplate. Um, and you can look it up. And I mean, that is um, a beautiful invocation honoring the elements and the land. Um, and so... Um, he came back and he did convert people or did his thing, you know, I mean, it, it, and this is the story I love about, about Patrick too, is that he actually, it said that he made Bridget um, a bishop as well, which and we know in Roman Catholicism, like women are not even allowed to be priests, let alone bishops. So um, I think he, he held a lot for that land. Um, and he definitely could have been, it wasn't an inquisition. I mean, there are stories about him, um, um, you know, doing things before the Druids, the Paschal fire um, on the hill of Tara, um, you know, so he, he, he definitely did his share of like, eliminating the old way of being. Um, yet, um, he could have done it in a much more violent way as well. Um, not that there weren't killings and things, although I think he did love the land and the people in his own way. So the story of Patrick that we all know, we've known since childhood about like he came and he, um, he scared all the snakes from Ireland or whatever that is. Well, um, to set that, that story straight, um, there have not been snakes in Ireland since the last ice age, which was about 11,000 years ago. Um, and for some reason, like they all went to England. They, they're in the, you know, they're in the British Isles, just not on Ireland. Um, but we do not give credit to Patrick for that. Um, what, was being referred to was actually the Druids. Um, we work in, in um, indigenous um, Irish spirituality. This, the serpent holds a lot of symbolism for us because it is very feminine um, 
energy, um, transformative energy led by the feminine. Um, and so the Druids would use the serpent as a symbol. So that was like his, like driving the snakes from Ireland was actually his like way of saying I'm driving the, the Druids, but actually also driving like this innate feminine um, connection to the land, um, driving that, that out as well. That's what I have to say about Patrick. <laughs> Thank you for setting the record straight. <laughs> yes. I also would encourage people to celebrate the, the day for Bridget. There actually, lo- there's a movement to make Bridget's Day a national holiday in Ireland, which is oh. so exciting. And the second thing is in Ireland, St. Patrick's Day parades or St. Patrick's Day celebrations are pretty new. I mean, now, of course, in Dublin, they're doing the drunken thing, like in America. Um, mm-hmm. Although in the West where I live, like it's very much a, commu- again, a very community thing, a very community oriented gathering of celebrating heritage of celebrating um community basically is what it comes down to so yeah if we can come back to celebrating community and remembering um what that means to to be in community absolutely i want to thank you for coming on here because and you've taught us so much and i'm so grateful for your time and your presence your wisdom, everything you've shared today. And are you willing to share where people can find you? Sure. And thank you, Carrie, for having this series. I think it's so important for us all, whatever our roots are, to remember that we can tap into our own. It's not about, and learn from each other's. It's like learning to appreciate versus appropriate. There's such gifts in that. So thank you for this podcast. I think it's a a really beautiful offering. I have a website. It is called Dancing with the Wild, dancingwiththewild.com. And you can find out about my offerings and programs there. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm really excited to order a hard copy of your book once you get them back from Ireland because I downloaded the PDF, but I just love the hard cover. You can also find Tanya also has a lot of herbal treats and her book is in her shop on her website too. So thank you, Tanya. With that, we'll close. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you again.